Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. The title of the message today is Made for Love. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. The message, Made for Love. On Father's Day, I was at lunch with Jan, uh, Nathan, and uh, his family, <clears throat> who you have there is my daughter-in-law, Caroline, and the little kid with uh, cookie on his mouth and cookie in his hand is Harper, and <clears throat> that's Bradford standing up beside her there. And uh, we were at uh, a little Father's Day lunch, and a very unusual discussion for us <clears throat> at uh, the, the lunch table, we were actually discussing original sin, <laughs> and <clears throat> we were discussing it with, with uh, Bradford, and <clears throat> it was not, you know, tell him he was a sinner, it was, uh, it was a, <clears throat> a pretty good discussion, and uh, how Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the, uh, <clears throat> the Garden of Eden, and uh, what a bad thing that he did, and my grandson Bradford looked at me, and he asked a question that I had never been asked before, at least with this kind of clarity. Here's what he said, that little guy standing up right there. He said, Pops, where did Satan come from? And I'm, okay, I told him that Satan was a created being. I'd been asked that, that he was created like the rest of the angels and that God had created him too, but he rebelled and he wanted to be like God. And then came <clears throat> that insightful question. He said, well, why did God make him if he knew he was going to be bad? I had a Three Stooges moment. Uh, <clears throat> inside I went, <clears throat> and so I don't think that I'd ever had anyone ask me that with such candor or clarity. And so I said the only thing that I knew to say and what I actually believe, I said, Bradford, God made Satan because he wanted a way to show us how much he loves us. You know the, the verse John 3.16, don't you? And he said, yes. And he began to quote it. Here's exactly the way he quoted it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only forgotten son. <clears throat> I said, close enough, buddy. That is absolutely close enough. For God so loved the world. Well, the Bible says that every good and every perfect gift is from above. So the gift of salvation is good and perfect. James 1.17, that verse that I just quoted, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And I guess my question in light of Bradford's question, is this. Could it be that one of the reasons for the whosoever will of John 3.16 is the answer to Bradford's question? Could it be that Satan was created to be part of God's plan to give us a way to respond to him and for God to express his love <clears throat> to the beings that he had created, that is to you and me? Could it be? The free will of man <clears throat> is the opportunity to respond to the divine love of God. 
And we do know that we have the capacity to love, but the reason that we have the capacity to love is because God loved us first. First John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. We know that we are born in sin and that we choose a life of sin and on a daily basis. But then we were born again for another purpose. We were born again for love. We were made for love. That's where we go for our text today. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedient, disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There are many lessons in this passage, but let's just focus on how God made us able to to love. First, we have to acknowledge that in our natural state, we are incapacitated. We lack a certain capacity that we need. Love is an interesting subject because of the many options or opinions as to what love is all about. All of us have known couples who have never expressed a relationship to God yet they seem to have a genuine love for each other. All of us have known couples that that have no spiritual life at all, but they do appear to have a, a true love for each other. And far be it from me to say that a man and a woman cannot love each other if they're not Christians. I do, however, think that the, the love and ex- expressed in that kind of love is more along what the Bible calls natural affections. And it lacks an understanding that only comes from a relationship with God. So that couple may be unsaved, they may not be Christians, and they may indeed love each other with a natural affection. And I'm not calling that shallow, but I'm saying this, there is a depth of an understanding of love that they still lack because they do not yet know Jesus Christ is their Savior. They do not know God. Other emotions, feelings, and desires have been called love too, including those that are not natural affections. 
we, that is, our society, have created affections and emotions, calling them love, when actually they are something else. There's certainly a sense of attraction, but attraction isn't love. There is a sense of sensuality, but sensuality isn't love. There are even political expressions of love. I grew up in the, in the hippie days, and uh, back when the, the slogan was, make love, not war. And that was a, a political um, aspect of, of the 60s. And even today, you might think that, that your political leanings might suggest whether or not you are a person that has a heart of love or not. However, true love comes not from sensuality or political party or even a, a moonlit night. True love comes from the heart of God. God's love is true love. If God's love is true love, then we are incapacitated from knowing or expressing His kind of love, that kind of real love that's from Him, in a natural state. We can have natural affections, but we cannot have God's love unless we have a relationship with God. I can love you in a natural way, but it's only through the love of God that I'm able to love you in a, in a divine way. It's like being born and then born again. I believe with all of our hearts, my heart that all of us are born to a purpose. I believe that when a baby is born, that baby is born to a purpose. Every child on earth has a purpose. I believe that. I don't believe in throwaway children. I believe every child has a purpose. One of the reasons that, that I and hopefully you are so pro-life is because we believe that all of those children have a, a purpose. Sometimes that purpose is fulfilled for a very short period of time. Other times that purpose is fulfilled for a very long period of time as, as one grows up and grows old. But everybody's born with a purpose. However, it's a unique thing in that we have the opportunity to be born again. And I think the person who is born with a purpose is born again to find his or her purpose. I was born with a purpose on March the 6th, 1950. I was born again on, in 1958 and enabled to find that purpose. Similarly, people are born to natural affections, and they're born again to discover true love. Here is why true love, that is the love of God, is not possible for anyone who is not born again. There's a couple of things, really. First of all, the first problem is that the person who is not born again, according to the Bible, is dead. Very, very difficult to get love out of a dead person. Very hard. In fact, I'll go this far. It's impossible for a dead person to love. That's what Ephesians 2, 1 says. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, of course, this means spiritually dead. The unsaved person is unable to understand and appreciate spiritual things, including the true love of God, because that unsaved person is dead. 
Just like the person who is physically dead cannot respond to physical stimuli like touch and food and drink, sounds in the room or conversation, the one who is spiritually dead is incapacitated from spiritual stimuli. They cannot experience the love of God until they are made alive in the Lord through Jesus Christ. The unbeliever is not sick. The unbeliever is dead. Now, modern theology and liberal theology would have you to believe that everybody has a little God in them, and we're just a little sick, and if we get the right medication, that little God that's in us will get well, and all of a sudden, we'll become wonderful people, the wonderful people that we were born to be, when in fact the Bible says that we were born in sin, and, and there, we are dead in trespasses and sin. There is no spark within us that can be flamed into a fire of godliness. There has to be a fire lit within us, and that fire is the presence of Jesus Christ. The person who is unsaved does not need resuscitation. That person needs resurrection. The reason the lost sinner is incapacitated for love is because that lost sinner is dead. Now, the real tragedy is when one is born again, yet fails to allow the love of God to be manifest in his life or her life. And that's true. That happens a lot of times. That is, somebody will be born, and then they'll be born again that they might have the capacity to love, and then they fail to manifest the love of God in their lives. Think about all the unsaved people that you know who live their lives appearing to have a vibrant love for other people. That's a wonderful thing. Yet, if they're not born again, we know that there is a lacking in love because they can't have a capacity to love or an understanding. Now, think about all the born-again people that you know who have a capacity for love because they know the love of God, they've experienced the love of God, yet they do not live it or exercise it in their lives. Now, I don't know which one is is more tragic. It's sad to think that, that we are alive but are actually dead, but it might even be more sad to be alive yet live as though we are dead, to live without an expression of God's love in our life. If you're a born-again believer, you have not only the opportunity, but I believe the responsibility to live the love of God in your life, and so do I. Before we were saved, we were incapacitated for love because we were dead. We had another problem, too. We were not only dead, we were disobedient. Verse 2, in which you walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, just to be very clear so that we'll all understand it and be on the same page, the prince of the power of the air is the devil. Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world. And just like a rose by any other name is just as sweet, Satan by any other name is just as evil. The unsaved are incapacitated from loving like God loves because the devil leads them astray. He leads some saved people astray too. When someone is saved and and knows the, the way to love, yet they still allow themselves to be led away by Satan's rule, if you will, and it it keeps them from loving others. What a sad thing. 
to be led away. When a saved person has the capacity to forgive and not hold grudges, yet they fail to forgive and they do hold grudges, then what does that say? That's not saying that they're following the love of God that's been born into them. That's saying that they're being uh, disobedient to the love of God. They're having to fight against the love of God. In your natural state, it's a very easy thing to despise someone. In your natural state, it's a very easy thing not to give, forgive someone. In your natural state, it's a very easy thing to hold a grudge. It's a very easy thing. But there was put within us when we were born again a new man that has the capacity to love, has the capacity to forgive, has the capacity to, to lay aside grudges. And when we live by, by that man, it goes against our natural man, but it's a display of the love of God. It's a manifestation. It's an obedience to the love of God. When someone is unable to demonstrate the love of God, it's either because they are dead in sins or they have chosen not to show the love of God. And sometimes we make those choices deliberately. We say things like, I know I ought to love them. However, you know what they did. Well, I know how I should feel, but this is the way that I actually feel. Well, it's, it's no surprise about the way you actually feel. We still have the natural man within us, even when we're born again. We still have our old feelings. We still have our old flesh. We fight a battle with that until we die. But we don't give in to the flesh. That's why you're here in church on a Sunday morning to try to be built up spiritually so that this week when you are challenged by your flesh, you'll not give in to the flesh. When you're challenged by the flesh, you will, you'll not allow that to come into your life. Add to the disobedience and the deadness, uh, the, the unloving person shows himself not only to be disobedient, but to be determined in that disobedience. Verse 3 says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the minds, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It appears that Paul is addressing those who were saved as adults. And many, if not most, in his ministry and lifetime were saved as adults. I was saved as a child. Yet, like the rest, I've had many struggles with the sins of my life and with my flesh. Those who are saved as adults have even a different level of struggle because of sins that you became accustomed to in your life. And now you may fight against them. And just as Satan led us astray our flesh is determined to bring us back to the same temptation and issues. Have you not found it interesting that in your life, the same things that have always tempted you continue to tempt you? Have you not found it interesting that in your life, the same things that just burn you up and make you mad continue to burn you up and make you mad? Have you not found that to be true in your life? There's not a great, you, you think, okay, now I've grown from from this level of being aggravated to this level of being aggravated. But actually, we just find new ways to, to express our aggravation. We still get aggravated over the same things. Look, there's a determination about our flesh 
to stay in the flesh. There's a determination about our flesh to stay unloving, to be unloving, to be unhappy, to be ungrateful, to be un, 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 un. And there's a determination in our flesh. The one being addressed in our message today is failing to demonstrate the love of God. So all of us have had and maybe still have an incapacity for living out the love of God in our lives. Now, to fix this, here's what God did. God made sure that we were intercepted. Jim Hardy played for the Washington Redskins in the NFL between 1946 and 52. He made the Pro Bowl in 1950. However, Hardy is the most famous for the record number of interceptions in a game. He threw eight interceptions in a game where uh, the Redskins lost to the Philadelphia Eagles 45 to 7. That was on September the 24th, 1950. I was six months old. Although tough on the defense, there are few plays more beautiful than, than an interception. When a quarterback lost the ball and it goes way down the field and somehow or another out of nowhere, a defensive back jumps into the air, seemingly five feet into the air, takes that ball, reverses the field, and goes all the way. If you're on defense, there's, there are few things more beautiful than to see the field reversed. You know, that's what God did for us. God reversed the field. The love of God changed the game for us. Satan kept throwing passes downfield toward our own destruction and playing naturally to our flesh, but the love of God intercepted us and put us on a different course. The very moment that we were born again, there was an interception and the field reversed. Here's how the field changed for us. First of all, we were captured by love. Again, verse 4 from our text. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. The Bible says that God is love. That is one of his attributes. He has many attributes, and all of his attributes are perfect. One of his attributes is that he is love. And love is more than that intrinsic attribute. It is also the first level upon which he interacts with us. As Bradford quoted to me the other day, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Then there's this clear and concise verse that shows God's activity behind his attribute. When you love somebody, you show them that you love them. How did God show his love to us? Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love took you and me when we were spiritually dead and made us alive. We were captured and and quickened by the love of God, which led to our being changed by grace. Captured by love, changed by grace. That'd be a good t-shirt, wouldn't it? Captured by love and changed by grace. That's what verse 5, the latter part says, by grace you have been saved. I like the word saved. 
Saved is a good word. Saved is a word that's been put in hymns for years. Saved is a a word that when we say it, it means something to us. It's good to talk about being saved. It's a Bible word. It's, It's a word that's hard to improve upon. When we are born again, that's what's called being saved. And it means saved from our sins. It means being saved from ourselves. It means we, we are uh, saved from uh, the consequences of sin and eternal hell. Uh, we do not have to follow the tendencies of our flesh. We can be saved from the tendencies of our flesh. If, if we do so, it is clearly a choice that we make. We're saved from hell. We're saved uh, from a life that is void of the possibility of the love of God. Grace is the expression of God's love to us, and it saves us. Captured by love and saved by grace. Have you been captured by love? Have you been saved by grace? Let me just say this. If you've never been saved, you must be. And you must be saved without delay. Heaven is not one of those destinations where you fake it till you make it. You know, you hear about that sometimes. Well, what we do is, I just took that new job and I'm just going to fake it till I make it. Heaven's not like that. We must be saved, and if we are not, we cannot go to heaven. We, we cannot feel the, the comfort. We cannot feel the, the confirmation and the preaching of the Word of God. Those of you who are saved in this service today, as this message is being preached, there's been a confirmation of the Word of God in your heart. Others, there's been a conflict of the Word of God in your heart. Today, at the close of the service, I'm going to give an invitation, as I always do. And let me just say this. Part of that invitation is going to be for those who may not be sure that you're saved, that you've been captured by love and changed by, by grace. And when we give that invitation... We will sing a song. The praise team will sing a song. I'll have the church congregation standing. I'll ask them to bow their heads and to close their eyes to allow anyone who wants to respond to the message to do so with a sense of confidence that not everybody in the church is watching them respond. And I'll stand here at the front. And if you're that person that says, I'm not sure that I have been saved, I'm not sure that I have been captured by love and changed by grace. Then I would encourage you today to allow us to share with you the simple message of how to be saved, of how to just simply put your trust in Jesus Christ. Usually when we share the message of salvation and the gospel and trusting Jesus, Usually the person that gets saved thinks it's incredibly simple. And it is incredibly simple from our part because God did all the heavy lifting. Everything difficult about salvation, our Lord has done. And Jesus said it very clearly this way, you just must be born again. And so today when we give the 
the invitation. I challenge you, I invite you, I pray that you will respond and that you will be changed, captured by love and changed by grace. Satan had us running down the field toward a tragic end, but we were intercepted, we were captured by love, we were changed by grace, and we were called up higher. I love this next verse, love all of them, but the next two verses are really something. And raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. There are a couple of words that stand out to me in these two verses. The first is that we are seated with him in heavenly places. Have you ever had really good seats to something? Just really, really good seats? Maybe to a concert or to a play or to an event, a ball game? A couple of years ago when Jan and I when, when Jan turned a certain age, I won't tell you the age, but when she turned a certain age, I, uh, I told her, I said, Jan, I'll, I'll take you on a great vacation. And we went to uh, Vienna, Austria. And we were in Vienna, Austria, and actually we went to Romania first, which was, uh, I spoke in Romania, but then we booked extra days, and, and we're in Vienna, Austria, and we purchased tickets while we were in in. Uh, Romania and a little little small travel agency in Oradia, Romania. We purchased tickets to a very famous play in Austria called the The Barber of Seville. Uh, the Barber of Seville. You may not know the Barber of Seville, but you'll know this. Figaro, 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 Figaro. That's from the Barber of Seville. All right. Would you give me a hand, please? Thank you very much. Thank you. I know that had I sung it all, the applause would have been larger, but I'll take what I can get. So we went to um, our hotel in, uh, in Vienna and went to see the concierge and, and uh, to the, his desk. And I picked them up and he looked at me and he said, how did you get those tickets? And I said, I bought them in Romania. He said, I said, are they good seats? He said, oh, they're very good seats. I'll give you twice what you paid for them right now. And I looked at my wife. (laughs) No, no, I better not do that. This this is a very special time for her. I'm going to take her to to the theater, to the opera. And we're from Nashville. We'd been to the Opry, but uh, we hadn't <clears throat> been to the Opera. And so um, I, uh, the next day, we, we were supposed to go, and I came through the, the lobby in the morning, and a different uh, concierge was there. And he said, oh, you're the man with the tickets. <laughs> I said, well, yeah, I guess. And uh, I said, how do you know? He said, oh, the other guy told me. He said, I'll give you three times what you paid for those. Right now. I'll give you three times. Hmm. I, I did tell Jan 
that if it went to four times, <clears throat> I was going to sell the tickets and we were going to go to McDonald's or something. Uh, <clears throat> well, when I got to the opera, I found out. You can see the picture there. What you don't see is right behind me. I'm in a box number one. Box number one, the first level up, the first box from the stage. Box number one. I could talk to the people on stage. If I understood Italian, we could have carried on a conversation with the people on the stage. It was just outstanding. I couldn't believe it. A few weeks ago, I, uh, I got a phone call. I was sitting in my office and I got a phone call. And it was from somebody in the governor's office. I had never met the governor. And it was a phone call, and, and Pastor Ray, this is so-and-so uh, with the governor's office, and he's having a dinner at the governor's mansion and would like for you to, to be his guest and uh, for you to bring your wife. Well, my wife was going to be out of town, and she couldn't come. And I said, well, my wife is going to be out of town. They said, would you still be able to come? I said, I'd be glad to. So I scheduled the time, and I went, you know. I'm old school. I was there early. I was there so early that I was afraid that the FDLE was going to come out and, you know, check my car for bombs or something because I <clears throat> was there so early. So we ended up going, and there was, there was a group of about 45. And we went to the front gate, and we walked up and gave them my names, and they said, yes, sir, uh, Pastor Ray, you're at table number two. Great. Rather be number one, but uh, table number two was all right. So that's good. So I got to the front door of the, uh, the mansion, and, and there was a lady there. I think she runs the place. Uh, it wasn't Mrs. Scott. She really runs the place, but this lady works for Mrs. Scott. And, and uh, she said, oh, Pastor Ray, it's good to see you. Uh, you're going to be at table number two. I said, well, great. Glad. Happy. Happy, happy, happy. And <clears throat> so um, went over, had my picture made with the governor and Mrs. Scott, lovely people. Stood around for a while, talked to a few people. And then uh, the governor gave us a little history on the house, and then the doors opened into the dining room, and he said, you'll go in, and, and your names will, you've already been given your table number, and your names will be uh, at your place. And so sure enough, there was table number two, kind of in the middle of the room on the side in front of the buffet. And I walked up, and I looked down, Pastor Randy Ray. And then I looked, and it said, Rick Scott. And I thought, now there's not another Rick Scott in here. Uh, that's Rick Scott, Rick Scott. I got to sit next to the governor for like a three-hour dinner. Do you know how hard it is to carry on a conversation with somebody who has so much responsibility and is so smart and, you know, is really rich and, and, <clears throat> and all of that? But I seem to hold my own. And I thought, man, alive, I'm getting some good seats to some stuff. <laughs> Front row, Barbara Seville, sitting next to the governor. And then I read this verse. We're raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Wow. Now that's a reserved seat. That's a seat 
That's a ticket right there that, that is impossible to buy but available to everybody. The other word that stands out to me is immeasurable. In all the grace that we, we have already known, there is a waiting for us immeasurable riches and grace. This reminds me of the wonderful verse that, that thrills every time I read it. As it is written, no eye has seen nor ear heard nor uh, the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who loved him. There's some immeasurable blessings waiting for us and we're getting a great seat just because we were made for love when we were born again. If you're a born again believer, you were made for love. At first you were incapacitated but the love of God intercepted you from the path of Satan and you were made by the love and the grace of God and by the grace of God you were endued. And by the way, Endued can be spelled with an E or an I. I looked it up. I struggled with that. Had to keep the I going. So I put it with an I. Those of you who use Microsoft Word, it will not let you use an I. It will make you use an E, but I don't use Microsoft Word. Thank the Lord. You're given a gift. And you're given a gift just because God loves you. All because God loves you. Let me tell you about the gift. First of all, it's a gift of grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. The older I get, the more I love the grace of God. I just love it. I just love it. The older I get, the less I think I deserve anything that God has done for me. I I think that if... If we have a proper understanding of the love of God and the, and the mercies and the, the graces of God, I think the older that we get, the more we realize this is just the grace of God all around me. When we hold our little grandchildren and, and kiss their little cheeks, we're experiencing the wonderful blessings of the grace of God. When we get to know somebody new who's a blessing in our life, it's the the grace of God. We have been gifted with the graces of God, and we are gifted by the grace of God. And it's all from the love of God. God loved you and me enough to intercept us from the grip of the devil and to hold us in his grip of grace. And in all of this, we were gifted with grace and for good reason that we might be God's workmanship. Finally, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God before prepared us that we should walk in them. And the best work is to live the love of God. If we speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love, we are nothing the Bible says. We know the do's and we know the don'ts of the Christian life, but do we live the love that made it possible? Believers, you were made for love, not not just to have it, but to live it and to show it and to be generous with it in your life. Be generous with God's love. Remember what we read last week. 
In John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Have you been made for love? Have you been born again for God's love? You say, well, I think I love God. I think I know God. I think this, I think that. But you know what, Pastor Ray? I don't know that I've ever really been born again. Well, I'll tell you this. When you get born again, you know the love of God in a unique way. You were made for love. But you were born again to be able to live the love of God. You can have it and you can live it by faith in Jesus Christ. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.